So by the time this show drops, uh, the whole Writers Guild uh, ATA next move will, of course, be uh, in the news. So we're recording this on the eve of that actually happening, and we will see what happens. It'll be, uh, it's going to be a whole new Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. A whole new Hollywood. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know what, what the end game is. I'm assuming you'll probably have to go to court, but we'll see where it goes. It's going to be crazy. Uh, otherwise, uh, Avengers Endgame coming out end of the month, three hours, two minutes long. What do you think about that, Tim? Um, that's too long. <laughs> but but on the heels of Captain Marvel, a, yeah. a, a perfectly fabulous movie, yeah. uh, in which Miss Larson is going to be playing a major role, you yeah. know, in Endgame. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm now looking forward to it because I'm so up on her. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm just you know it's so yeah, and I I already like the trailer. I like the trailer Which a lot. Her. Uh, they, apparently, they have been working very hard to put together trailers and teasers that mm. reveal nothing because, like, every single second of those three hours and two minutes is all spoiler. Yeah. So they they can't yeah. they can't show you anything without revealing everything. But uh, you know the the uh, the Russo brothers made a very good point, which is this is the culmination of twenty two other movies. Yeah. This has been what we've been waiting for for a, for a decade. Yeah. This all started with Iron Man, and it's all kind of been working to this point. You know, that's the that's a that's a rather rather massive saga to uh, bring to culmination. But I'm looking forward to it. I I'm glad that they they made. If if it were only like two hours, yeah. I would be disappointed because mm -hmm. I know there's not going to be any kind of ad, uh, satisfactory summation. Well, you have to give all of these characters, uh, you know, uh, something. A moment. Well, that's why half of them died at the end of the last movie. Well, yeah, you can't. You know, <laughs> no, there wouldn't be so many. Uh, but you have to give everybody who's left. Uh, yeah. And then again, you know, I'm not so sure how you. Yeah. Uh, that, that it's a series of, of uh, graphic novels, of course, yeah. and we know what happens in the in the graphic yeah. novels, which is why I think something else is going to yeah. be. You know, but you know, what do I know? Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's certainly going to be uh, a ridiculously. Uh, successful movie well and then of course now because of the uh merger uh between yeah. disney and fox yeah. we've brought the dc universe or the uh or the uh, 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 the, uh, the, uh, the the x-men universe, X -Men universe yeah. uh the x-men universe in uh under that same banner yeah we also picked up that one lingering uh a new hope yeah. star wars movie yeah and now that's under the disney yeah so you know you get you get that you got that x-men universe you can combine that x-men universe with that marvel universe despite the fact that you know they all did be, uh, be, be interesting to see what they're going to do with x-men if they continue what has been done previously at fox or if feige just uh wipes the slate clean and says i don't like those x-men movies this is how we should have done it from the beginning here's mm -hmm. how we're going to do it now I don't know that he can, to be honest, because um, there are a lot of people love Logan. And a lot of people. Yeah. That's it, you know. Uh, they and they and they do certainly like some of those actors in those parts as established. It's you're going to have to really do some amazing casting if you're going to wipe the slate clean yeah. and bring a whole new, whole new bunch of people. And the thing about those movies is they bounce back and forth in time. Yeah. So you, it's not like you can just go back and do a young X Men. Yeah. We did that already. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, 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 so, you know, yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Mix and match. It will be interesting to see. So, we're going to start off. Uh, got a big old bunch of anime again. Um, all of it except for three titles from Sente. Uh, we've had the Sente stuff sitting there, and I've wanted to really get into it for a while. And I just figured I'm just going to do a Sente segment with the exception of three. The first one is Mirai. 
uh, by Mamoru Hosoda, who's one of the great anime masters of our day. This was um, w- this didn't win the uh, LA Film Critics Animation Award, but it came close. Mm-hmm. Mirai is a lovely film. This was Academy Award nominated in 2019, and deservedly so. It is um, it is quite a quite a lovely lovely film. Uh, Hosoda has been a, a fixture for a very very long time, and always kind of you know one of the second or third place guys in the uh, in the of the current pantheon of uh, anime masters but um what this is this is about a um uh a kid who has a new baby sister and proceeds to isn't quite comfortable with it and uh winds up being oh boy this is how do we even mm. go go to this place winds up being courted into a series of mystical adventures by otherworldly figures as a way of sort of reconciling himself to his life over uh, many different stages. Mm. Is that a fair way oh, of yeah, describing absolutely. it? Absolutely. Okay. Without giving anything away. Uh, but it's these mystical interludes, some of which I think are a little bit silly, but, uh, you know, it, it depends on your taste. Uh, but, it, but it really is, um, it's, it's sort of a wonderful, it's like a family story told through a mystical lens with all kinds of sort of supernatural interludes. And it really is incredibly original, and uh, it's beautiful and has some great extras on it, including an interview with Hosoda and a tour of the uh, studio Chizu, which is, of course, his uh, answer to Studio Ghibli. And uh, a whole bunch of other stuff on here behind the scenes, cast interviews, uh, how the film did in Mirai and at the Cannes Film Festival where it debuted. And you get Movies Anywhere, which is always a, uh, a big old treat uh, where anime is concerned. We have a couple from Shout Factory as well. Uh, the first one is Makia. Uh, when the promised flower blooms, uh, Machia is an absolutely extraordinary film. I'm glad that Shout Factory is starting to do uh, a bit more anime and and venture into that place. And uh, this takes place over uh, a, a significant period of time, uh, dealing uh, with what is known as the Lorf. And the Lorf are a uh, a race of beings that live not forever, but pretty close to forever. And um, they wind up being invaded by another race uh, who want to know what the secret of their almost immortality is. And this is all about um, Machia, who is a Lorf and uh, who is is trying to flee the situation and who winds up through a, finding a travel companion and it becomes a, a road trip of, expl- of, of of discovery and revelation and a whole lot of meaningful stuff in it. Um, it's it's quite a it's quite a lovely. I don't want to call it a fairy tale, but it kind of is like an anime fairy tale. In any case, it is absolutely beautiful. It's just a a wonderful film. It was made in 2018. Never crossed our radar here with other anime films that were kind of on the usual G Kids. Uh, list which we we get solicited by by uh, for the for awards at the end of the year. So it was a that was a wonderful discovery, and then um, this is you know Japanese schoolgirls. It's always a subject of anime, but somehow Liz and the Bluebird is significantly better than what you would normally expect for this. Uh, Liz and the Bluebird deals specifically with two young women who are working on an oboe and flute uh, duet. And they're you know, both very talented musicians, 
and they're, they want to do this, this wonderful little musical duet. And it winds up putting incredible pressure on their friendship just to, to practice it and, and you know, even execute it. And um, now we, we enter into a whole different stage of their friendship. And where that goes and how it evolves is really lovely and incredibly poetic. And uh, some of the best animation I've seen in a long time from a company called Kyoto Animation. This was also made in 2018. It's a, I mean, this just shows you how deep and, and rich the incredible work is in Japanese anime. That these films, these are like, you know, these are the ones that don't make ridiculous amounts of money. And uh, they, they come over here because Shop Factory is able to discover them. And they're still amazing. Uh, there's just so much good work going on in Japan. It's really, really impressive. Uh, Naoko Yamada is the director. Super talented. Reiko Yoshida, beautiful screenplay. Really a good film. Liz and the Bluebird, which of course is the piece of music that they are learning to play. So here, here's the Sente stuff. Uh, complete collection of Princess Resurrection, which is uh, a little bit bonkers, but uh, has, has moments of, of fun in it. Uh, all about, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, look, it's kind of crazy, supernatural, undead, monster-fighting madness, and, uh, you know, there's sort of no other way to describe that one. Uh, Princess Resurrection, the complete, uh, the complete collection. The, uh, Is It Wrong to Try to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon is, uh, out with another installment, Familia Myth, Is It Wrong to Expect a Hot Spring in a Dungeon?, this stuff is really beefcakey and uh, beautifully animated. Oftentimes, very creative, but uh, you know, it's still, it's still like you know, Lord of the Rings crossed with S and M. That's uh, basically what uh, it is. I know. Uh, it's it's a very specific Japanese kind of obsession, and uh, the names even are a little bit dodgy. There's some symbol uh, symbolism in the names, uh, but you know, uh, maybe someday someday I'll do a video game and uh, explain to us what it's all about. Uh, Young Friendship is given all kinds of cool, colorful uh, interpretations in Mitsuboshi Colors, the complete collection. This skews considerably young, and my daughter would love this. I haven't shown it to her yet. I'm thinking about probably doing it. Uh, it is, uh, it's, it's about a, uh, these kids who form a, a secret combination called Colors, which is uh, supposed to be sort of like uh, what was the organization in um, mm. in uh, Thunderbirds? Oh, uh, oh, yeah. International it? Rescue. Thund Thund International Rescue. That's yeah, it. Thunderbirds are go. Yeah. So this is sort of like their little kid version uh, of a neighborhood International Rescue. Like uh, you know, is there somebody you know who has too much food? Who doesn't have enough food? What are what are the problems locally? You know, small problems, not a big deal. So uh, anyway, it's uh, you know three little girls who just decide they're they're going to be the the heroines of the neighborhood with their special secret organization, uh, skewing a little older just because the complete collection just because is uh, is really superlative artwork, uh, it's just really dazzling. Anytime you I see anime where there's real attention to kind of character face details and to uh, a muted. Uh, palette of colors it, it's interesting because that's not usually what you get out of it and uh, this is quite wonderful it all takes place around the politics of high school as so many of these things do and presumably because that's the audience that they have but um, as, a, as, a, as a lovely sort of poetic coming of age uh, look at teen issues and teenagers it's it, you know anime is, it has rarely had something that is as 
insightful as Just Because. Just Because, Complete Collection, really, really good, really solid. Uh, Complete Collection of Girls' Last Tour. Uh, Took me a while to figure out what's going on here. This is post-apocalyptic, kind of weird anime. Uh, It's, you know... I, I, I'm not. I'm still not quite sure what's going on. To be honest, it's a couple of girls doing the Mad Max thing, traveling the post-apocalyptic landscape, and trying to sort of make sense of this very weird new world. And uh, it, it never really becomes a full-on post-apocalyptic adventure. It becomes much more existential. And I'm still not quite sure what's going on. But um, mm. all right, continuing the uh, the feminist. Uh, girl power theme is Rocket Girls, a complete collection. Now, this comes on the heels of a an aborted spacewalk. I don't know if anybody followed this with the International Space Station. We were supposed to recently have the first all-female spacewalk, yeah. two female astronauts, which got bonked at the last minute because apparently they didn't have a spacesuit that would, in a medium size, to fit the one <laughs> astronaut. Okay. Now, now... Everybody's sort of getting piling on this and saying, "See, this is discrimination. This is you know, you're you're not making." I'm sorry, we've had female astronauts for th- for over thirty, 30 years. years yeah, that's the, the, this this is not about we don't no. make spacesuits for no. women. This is about somebody at Mission Control packed the wrong suit. Packed the wrong suit. <laughs> That that's the problem, and I, and I don't blame the astronauts. I hope no. to God we're not making our astronauts pack their own luggage. I hope to God yeah. we're not doing that. No, no, but man, that's just uh, that that was a real embarrassment. But anyway, bringing that up to this, uh, this is a girl. Uh, this is about a girl who uh, lost her dad somewhere at sea, and in the process of looking for him, she winds up in space. I will not tell you exactly how that happens because it's really fun and a little bit freaky and kind of funny and at the same time amusing. But uh, it is uh, Rocket Girls is is uh, very clever and uh, has a lot of really interesting things to say about Japanese society too in it. Really interesting, and you can tell just by looking at the at the artwork on the cover, which I'm not going to make mention of, but I'm going to show Tim, and Tim's going to be very impressed by <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. It's very interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a thing, there's a, there's a certain thing happening in Japan, yeah. and they're having, you know, they're having to reconcile themselves to it, and it uh, it, it has something to do with World War World War II and American yeah, soldiers. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we also have um, UQ Holder. And I don't, I, I, I still don't quite understand why this is called UQ Holder. Uh, I, it's explained somewhere in this thing, but I was focusing on too many other things to try to, to, to make sense of it. This is 12 episodes and three OVAs, which of course are the not aired episodes from television, additional episodes you only get on the disc, on the Blu-ray. UQ Holder is um, narratively a little bit convoluted. It's about a guy, it's about a a hero family, and um, this guy who is the latest in a long line of heroes and uh, winds up having to uh, rise up to his family's destiny with this crazy new challenge that deals has to do with vampires and a whole lot of magic, and it's a little bit um, tough to follow. So uh, I will. I'm sure there's a different history to this that I'm I'm missing out on, but uh, anyway. 
Uh, love Chunibyo and other delusions take on me. Love and uh, love Chunibyo and other delusions it has a, a real pretty significant following in the anime world. I have been told, and uh, this continues that uh, that saga. There's nothing too much to really say there. Uh, Negima exclamation point question mark uh, complete collection is a uh, 28 episode four disc set that is quite lovely. Uh, this is all about, you know, being a, uh, a pubescent, uh, wizard, pubescent witch, war, warlock, whatever the case might be. It's a little bit, it's not really for kids. It's got some, uh, some edgy stuff in it, uh, sexually and otherwise. So don't think that just because it's about, you know, teenagers and whatnot, this is more for, for grownups. And, uh, but you know, it does have, it does have some, some fun stuff in it. It's not exactly my speed all the way through. Uh, some other stuff that I didn't quite take a great deal of look at, but I do want to make mention to is uh, Crowds, Gotcha Man. I am a fan of, this is seasons uh, one and two of Gotcha, the, the new Gotcha Man Crowds. Gotcha Man has a long history in anime going back decades. This is its reincarnation, and uh, it's, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's in keeping with the, with the Gotcha Man universe. Uh, Made in Abyss also skews very, very young and very Pokemon. This is all about the uh, the the mythical Abyss, which is this weird, d- deep, cavernous world that's filled with all kinds of wonder and magic and whimsy and dangers and whatever. And uh, and what happens when you go there? And uh, it's a it's not terribly well fleshed out, but they they do seem to have fun with it. Takanomi, the complete collection is um, sort of dealing with uh, the, I don't want to say the, this is like when you graduate from, the, from Japanese schools and you have to become a young adult and you've got to start building your own, your regular life. Well, then you've entered the world of Takanomi because you're invariably going to have to start drinking your woes away because I guess it's what they do in Japan. Mm. And, uh, that, that, I thought this they did is, that in Korea. Oh, well, maybe. I guess maybe both. Anyway, uh, this is all basically about the, you know, the 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 cocktail club of uh, postgraduate life in Japan, I guess something like that. It's very very culturally specific. Not my speed. Uh, let's see. Get a couple of others out of this. Uh, Dive the complete collection. Really really super well animated. This is uh, a lot of this stuff again deals with high school sports, and uh, this is all about you know becoming a champion diver. And uh, all the drama that goes around about, you know, training and how do I make the Olympics and uh, all that stuff. And I can't fail and I've got to become the ultimate diver. And what's cool about this is the, the animators really have a lot of fun with the swimming and the diving and, the, you know, the, the, the body mechanics of uh, recreating all of that. So uh, assuming that you are a stressed out Japanese teen who uh, is wondering how you're going to make the next competition, right in line with what you're, what you're living. Uh, Parasite, the Maxim. Parasite is another uh, very successful anime franchise. This is the complete collection of, uh, of this particular installment of Parasite. That is Parasite spelled with a Y, S-Y-T-E. Super weird, man. It's really, really weird stuff. Uh, this is, you know, basically about the uh, parasitic organisms that have invaded the world and have to be fought, and they're, you know, alien parasites. Uh, it, it's weird stuff. It's it's extreme. I think people are taking way too many hallucinogenics to when they start doing animation like this. Yeah. But it has a following. So uh, you know, if you've liked what has come before in the Parasite universe, you will certainly like this. 
Uh, the last few here. Let me uh, put some of these together. If these do make sense together. Uh, we've got Showbitch. My girlfriend is Showbitch. Complete collection. This is uh, girls in school. And uh, a little risque as well. Um, more than a little risque. It's very, very risque. It's it's definitely mature. Uh, it, it's not quite hente, which mm. is, you know, really, really very, very adult. But it's not far from it. Uh, it's supposed to be kind of funny. I'm not quite sure what kind of dirty old men would be watching that. Uh, Dame Pri Anime Caravan, the complete collection. Um, this is a this is an interesting world. They've uh, it's a it's sort of a fantasy world with some interesting uh, gender politics uh, in it, and some kind of interesting fairy tale aspects to it. It seems to be skewing more teen. Does have some interesting characters. Uh, something I will probably visit, revisit at another point. Complete collection of Akame Ga Kill, which is great. Absolutely great. Beautifully rendered, beautifully conceived, really well written, uh, and uh, some fantastic actions in this. I mean, this this reminds me a little bit of, of like almost like an anime um, Into the Badlands. Ah, interesting. Right? interesting. That, that's got that's sort of where this lives, and uh, the character are the character designs are really great, and it's really really interesting. Uh, Beautiful mythical, you know, sword play stuff going on. A little bit of Lord of the Rings, but uh, it's more into the Badlands. What mm, it really yeah. feels like, and I, I just love. I mean, like the the the, co- the costumes, the the colors. It's really, it really, really terrific. Is. It really is very into the Badlands. Final yeah. season of Into the Badlands underway right now. That's right. right. That's Our right. Sherman. Augustus, Sherman. Nathaniel. I, by the way, Nathaniel I love that artwork that he posted. That, oh, isn't it fantastic? What What is that? What is that part of the promotion for the show? It is part of the AMC promotion for the show. So yeah. they went and hired an artist to do kind of anime styled. Yeah. Uh, artwork of the characters, and it's wicked. It's, it's like, great. Look up Nathaniel Moon. You'll Nathaniel see Moon. That that artwork is fantastic. Uh, and then the last few here, real quickly, is uh, Princess Principal Complete Collection, which is this is this is uh, kind of like I don't want to call it noir. Um, it's anime that takes place in the early part of the 20th century, and uh, it has sort of a steampunk quality to it, where there's this. Um, well, it's espionage and it's steampunk and it's noir all rolled into anime. Twelve mm. episodes on two discs with a whole lot of cool extras on it, including the uh, Japanese promos and commercials. And uh, it centers around the discovery of a substance that is that enables you to defy gravity. And uh, this obviously has all kinds of you know ramifications all over uh, Europe and all over the world with with technology and everything else. But um, it's also about how these uh, these two particular characters use it and uh, how it how it plays into their own political machinations. It's really, I mean, the idea of anti an anti gravity substance is pretty is pretty cool. Uh, Hito Regimi, my hero, complete collection. Eh, it's not a, it's not 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 my thing, but it's uh, you know it's it's sort of uh, male teen politics, and uh, I, I guess there are a lot of really troubled kids who who need something that's all about you know your your friendship and your buddies and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a little bit uh, it's 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 a little bit parochial. I'm sure this is super popular for certain kids, but not not 
Can't really give that one a big recommendation. And then uh, Hakume and Mikoji, uh, H-A-K-U-M-E-I and M-I-K-O-C-H-I, Tiny Little Life in the Woods. This is freaking adorable, and I hate myself for liking it as much as I do. Um, this is about these two little tiny girls who live in this itty-bitty little tiny house out in the forest. <laughs> and um, it's it's so just ridiculously cute and funny and sweet with all the giant woodland creatures and the giant trees and the whole little itty-bitty kind of, you know, fairy munchkin thing going on is just, it, it's just, once the, and then you wind up getting the music, and the music is adorable, and the animals are adorable, and the whole thing is just adorable beyond all belief. And I don't know why this thing is rated TV-14. Mm. It should be like TV-3. Oh. So maybe maybe there's something there I'm not seeing. But anyway, it's really, really sweet. Hakume and Mikochi. A tiny little life in the woods. It's so cute. It's adorable. Highly recommended. Very unusual, uh, especially in the world of anime. Hopefully they don't sneak any hente in there. <laughs> no, there's... That would be horrible. Well, the only, the only one that kind of verges on hente is uh, is is this uh, freaking thing. Where is it? It's the... Uh, the My girlfriend is show bitch. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a little disturbing. Yeah. But, um, there it is. Yeah, yeah. All from Sente. Sente's doing a lot of stuff, man. Uh, animation. Uh, I'm going to knock out a little bit of foreign. Okay. Here. Yeah. Uh, from Denmark, room 304. Uh, interesting kind of film, sort of a crash like film set in a Copenhagen hotel, mostly um, uh, nine different characters sort of intersect in various interesting ways. We find out what's going on in their lives. The stewardess. Uh, a, a woman who's been abandoned by her husband, uh, a receptionist, uh, the hotel manager, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Their lives uh, sort of, you know, uh, come across each other and merge in interesting ways. So, you know, like I said, sort of a crashy kind of thing, ultra dramatic, but not bad, not terrible at all. Uh, from Denmark, room 304. Um, the widowed witch um, in Mandarin Chinese. Now, this is a this is this is this is really a very good movie uh, that I rather enjoyed. It's about uh, this this uh, widow, uh, ten times widowed, uh, several times widowed with a ten year old son, uh, and the town has started to decide that she's some sort of a witch. Uh, uh, and, uh, and they start treating her like sounds a witch. like an anime. Yeah, sure. They won't take her <laughs> exactly. Really is, and in, in, yeah. in a lot of different ways, she ends up living uh, in this sort of like camper van, converted camper van, with her son. And what she decides to do is to lean into the town's expectations of her. They want to treat her like a witch. She starts acting like one. Uh, and it's all about how, therefore, the town uh, starts to come under her spell, even though she actually doesn't have any powers. It's really sort of satirical. Very, very funny. Uh, and, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's just smart. It's just a really delightfully smart feminist sort of story, The Widowed Witch, Mandarin Chinese. Um, the Seventh Day, uh, this is a Spanish film, and this is basically just uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Uh, these two families, you know, uh, Hatfields and McCoys, two families. Yeah. There was a promise of marriage. Somebody, you know, reneged. Yeah. And everybody got their guns. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's pretty brutal, and you know, and and and, and, and interested in, in that particular sort of way. But that's all it really is. A set in Spain, in Capernaum, a film that was in the run uh, was yeah. in, in, in the recent awards season, the Nadine Lebecki film. 
grand prize jury winner at Cannes. Yeah. Um, a, lovely a lot of film. people. A lot of people thought this would win at at Cannes. I, I, it's not my favorite film of hers, uh, yeah. but but boy, I really like it a lot. A lovely film uh, yeah. about a young man uh, who's taking care of a young woman and her son. Yeah. Uh, uh, as he sues his own parents uh, yeah. for for giving him life in the first place. It's really you know she is uh, Nadine Labaki is a. a, a Originally an actress, Lebanese sort of the pre, one of the preeminent Lebanese filmmakers right now. Certainly the the preeminent Lebanese filmmaker who is telling the stories of uh, women in particular, and uh, as they as their experiences through you know all of these different aspects of uh, Middle Eastern life. Yeah. But um, you know, Caramel is probably still my favorite film of hers. Yeah, but yeah. boy, uh, this is lovely a really powerful movie. powerful movie. Lovely, lovely movie, and uh, you know, uh, kind of relentless, but I like it anyway. Yeah, kind of relentless, yeah. but I like yeah. it anyway. Holiday. Uh, this is an interesting film uh, from Denmark. It's about a young woman uh, who wants to live uh, a more comfortable life. Takes up with this handsome guy, whom she knows is a part of a sort of crime family. Yeah, uh, and and insinuates herself into their family, uh, figuring it's going to be all lovely. And she finds out there's a reason why they're a crime family. <laughs> they're a bunch of sociopath, sadistic criminals. And now she's trying to figure a way out. Uh, and it's kind of fun in that way, uh, uh, but you know, uh, you, you kind of kind of be into you know, Denmark crime families. Yeah. Which, which there are some really vicious uh, crime families. Oh yeah, yeah. Every every country's got them. Nobody's exempt. Alain Rene, uh, Mello. This movie it was adapted from a play in the twenties. Yeah, uh, and it's basically just a love triangle uh, between these two musicians and this one young woman. Uh, she decides that, 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 that it, the thing of it is, it, it it's kind of plays her off to be the real shark of yeah. the three. Uh, she falls in, uh, she's in love with this guy. Uh, she, she meets his friend. She falls in love with this friend. They started an affair. Her husband gets sick, and even though her husband is sick, she still keeps up the affair with the other guy. And then things take a, a turn, like they do in all Alan Rene films, toward the end. Uh, uh, so you know, interesting movie, uh, special edition here, with all kinds of. Uh, interesting content on it, and this itself is a brand new 2K restoration. Um, so you know, uh, interviews with uh, the director. This is uh, even though the play was written in 1920, he made this film in 1986. It's still a more than 30 year old film now that I think about it. Uh, so interesting interview with him and the producer and uh, several other folks who worked on the movie. Um, Milo from Alain Rene, 1986. So we're going to talk about some new movies now. Uh, one of which I. I, I'm gonna be honest. I I so despise this film. I genuinely hate it. But uh, I have to be honest. It won the Golden Bear at the uh, 68th Berlin Film Festival, and then also got a little bit of attention at Toronto. Um, but this this film is this is just really a horrendous movie, as far as I'm concerned. Here's the thing: the the filmmaker who made this, Adina Pintili, is Romanian, <laughs> and I have a problem with a lot of Romanian movies. I love a lot of Romanian movies. Like oh. I love, you know, four months, three weeks, and two days. But you didn't like the death of Mr. Lazarus. No, I think it's a boring monstrosity. Christy, Christy Pui. Christy, no, he did. Uh, he did the other one. He, he did. He did yeah. four, three, two. Yeah. yeah uh, I also don't like Police Adjective. I don't. See, let me put it this way. I, I like those. I know you do. Everyone else does. I'm the odd man out. But you know, in that movie, there is literally a guy sitting at a desk and another guy <laughs> who is reading a dictionary to him for like what 45 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's insane. Um, Touch Me Not is just more avant-garde, formula-breaking stuff from a Romanian filmmaker. It's her first film, Adina, Adina Pintili. Don't really have a lot of women from Romania who have broken through, so I understand what's going on here. Mm. This is not really a narrative film. It's also not really a documentary. 
it's kind of a fusion of the two. It's a very strange, formless, uh, avant-garde-ish semi-documentary with some staged dramatic stuff, kind of, mm. about a woman who is uh, undergoing a journey of sexual exploration, which includes interviewing various people who are on the fringes and the margins of society, including this German transgender activist who shares with us the the erogenous zones of the nipple and including a guy who is incredibly physically handicapped to the point where it makes the film difficult to watch, mm. who is going through all kinds of sex surrogate exploration therapy. And, you know, it gets weird. Uh, this thing is, it, it reminds me more than anything of I Am Curious Yellow, mm. which is a little bit kind of, is it documentary? Is it not? It gets self-reflexive in the sense that you see the film crew at points in the film not quite sure what's staged, what isn't. Same thing happens here. Adina Pintili uh, actually makes an appearance in the film like she's somehow interfacing with the lead actress and, and her exploration. None of this really makes much sense. It's all very esoteric and weird. But the best part is, Tim, it's 128 minutes long. <laughs> 128 minutes. Imagine, this is another one of those, like... of uncomfortable it's sex. It's just so uncomfortable. It's on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber. Look, I you know what? It won the Berlin Film Festival. I I I am obligated by virtue of the ethics of my craft to uh of my profession to tell you this is a highly acclaimed film. Mm. But I also have to tell you that Peter Bradshaw when he reviewed it for the Guardian uh-huh. uh called it embarrassingly awful and uh considered a calamity for the legitimacy going forward of the Berlin Film Festival. And uh, I have to really kind of agree, but we're uh, we appear to be in something of a minority here. Mm. So there it is. All right, on the basis of sex, which was also a film in the mix for a little while there, for uh, a moment last year, for a yeah. moment, not very long. But it's interesting to me in that Green Book won that award, and that movie and this movie live in the exact same they sort of do. zone. I've ne- that's the uh, first time I've ever heard anybody say that. Film, You're you know, right. Speeches. One of them wins the Academy Award, and the other one just sort of slips by, uh, which is you mm, know I don't, yeah, interesting. I don't know what to, I don't know what to say You're about right, that. Mimi Leader, uh, which is one of the reasons why I was rooting for the film. Don't get me wrong; it's it's a fairly mediocre film. Yeah. Um, um, with a decent performance by Felicity Jones and a couple of good speeches and a couple of good moments, a couple of good courtroom and we should, moments. And we Army say, Hammer gives a good performance, he too. D- very good. And we should say this is the story of how uh, Justice Ginsburg became Justice yeah. Ginsburg, not how she became a judge, but she became she was a significant lawyer. She was, I mean, she was a decent lawyer who she became one of the first women at Harvard mm. Law School, and um, you know, eventually with her husband wound up be, break, be, uh, setting a uh, a landmark case. Case with yeah, respect to yeah. uh, on the basis of sex, on the basis with, of sex, with, uh, relevant gender, to the title gender of the, the workplace. Yep. And it's really, really interesting in that context. I like the love story. The thing about this movie, it's, it's a love story about Ruth Bader and her yeah. husband, um, uh, who, by all accounts, for everyone who knows, he's he's passed away not terribly long ago. That's right. Uh, that was a sixty-year-long love story. Yeah. She, when, when when they were in law school together, he he he, he came down with an illness and yeah. couldn't go to class. She went to all her classes and his classes and all his classes. Took took notes and then would read his notes to him. H- how fantastic! See, is and that? that's the good stuff in the film. the The thing that bugged me about it was it was like, and I love Mimi Leader, by the way. I think Mimi Leader is a great director. I don't think the problem with this movie is the directing. I think the problem is the script, mm. because it was like they were, and perhaps even the producing. It's uh, it's as though they are so in awe of her mm. as a living 
living person, and this is why it doesn't help when you make movies about living people, yeah. that they are afraid to expose any cracks in her veneer. Look, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a human being like everybody else. I guarantee you she can be stone-cold unpleasant to mm. somebody somewhere, mm. and then she has, she's been a human being at some point and not this immortal that you know her, her admirers build her up to be. And um, it would have been nice to see a human being there. It's an interesting. Well, Leslie Jones is a great actress. She could have done it. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> uh, and and uh, yeah, the, 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 you know, the, the, the other movie, uh, you know, biopic, I suppose, uh, Vice last yeah. year that did yeah. get nominated for Academy Award. Yeah. Great performances, but it does the exact same thing, but in the reverse. In the reverse. And and making sure that we understand how evil. Yeah. A Dick Cheney. Is. I, these are human beings. Show yeah. me, show me, you know, warts and all, but show me, you know, uh, let me struggle. Let me decide whether I like them or not. Let yeah. me decide. Give me, let me give me something to wrestle with. I always point to Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> as the archetypal movie of that type. Uh, Lawrence is is in that movie um, someone you struggle with because he is likable and charismatic, and at the same time he's psychopathic and horrible. Yeah, you, and, and you, you're 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 meant to not come to a conclusion. And on as that. we move further into history, away from that history, yeah. we struggle with him even more. Even more un- understanding right. how how those yeah. things sort of worked out affects the present day. Bonus features um, yeah, on, on this interesting stuff. Martin and Ruth, a loving partnership. That's the most interesting bonus feature on that. Uh, Man on a Ledge. I remember covering this movie for Film Week back in 2012 when it came out. Elizabeth Banks, Sam Worthington, when Sam Worthington was still a, a movie star, Jamie Bell, uh, uh, in this movie. And uh, it looks like a movie that's about a guy who's standing on the ledge and the, and the cops, uh, the central cop being played by Elizabeth Banks, is trying to talk him off of that ledge. Uh, but there's actually something else going on in this movie altogether. Now, if you know the, the, the filmmakers here, particularly uh, the director, uh, uh, Asghar Leth, uh, and the writer, Pablo Fuenueves, I think it's the way you say his name. Yeah. And you look them up, you, 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 you'll, you'll come to realize that they're both these sort of noted atheists. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and this movie is an atheist movie. Very often we talk about faith-based films, uh-huh. uh, b- both on the radio show and, I, and, and I here. Did, occasionally I did last week, up. yeah. And uh, it's interesting that this film is doing the exact same thing that those films do and failing for all the same reasons, only in reverse. It has a point of view and a specific point that it's trying to make about the non-existence of God uh, and and what it means to be an atheist. And it's going to do that no matter what. It's going to do that no matter what, while wrapping itself in the guise of a heist film. Uh, but it's not really a heist film at all. Um, all right. Anyway, Man on a Ledge. Uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's a pretty good movie, though, but it's not really a heist film. Well, we Die Young, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Uh, Jean-Claude. You, look, I'll say yeah. this about Jean-Claude. Uh, he, once a pretty boy uh, yeah. action uh, karate movie star, yeah. uh, he is none of those things anymore. No. Uh, <laughs> but he's, he can still get that leg up. Yeah, he can. Uh, still has never said a convincing word of dialogue ever in a movie, <laughs> not ever, not once, not ever, not what in a movie. Anyway, this is about a 14-year-old boy who gets a uh, drug into the gang life in Washington, D.C., doesn't want to be in the gang life. He has a big brother who'd like to help him get out of the gang life. Mm-hmm. They stumble across this sort of uh, PTSD-affected uh, 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 soldier who's really just sort of uh, bumming around the streets, and he decides he's going to um, uh, take, take up on their sides and help them get out of this life, and they go up against... MS-13, so you have an entire gang of MS-13, a little boy, another dude, and Jean-Claude Van Damme. Guess who wins? Yeah. Yeah, Jean-Claude yeah. kicks everybody's ass in the movie. Yeah. Um, 
uh, 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 back when our Dario Argento made that movie, uh, the the bird with the crystal plumage, it spawned a whole raft of uh, look alike, sound alike, uh, be alike sort of giallo films, including the iguana with the tongue of fire, which is just a title that I love. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, no pre- no pretense as not being in the vein of, and it it, it is, it is an insanely excessive giallo film. Uh, it is just as vicious and sociopathic, uh, full of fetish murders and all kinds of nonsensical crap, including all of these red herrings, right? So you, this is one of those movies where you watch it, and it alludes to absolutely everyone being mm-hmm. the killer. Yeah. Anyone who crosses that camera takes a beat and a moment and gives a look and might be the killer, even though you're never going to see that person in this movie again for the rest of the entire movie. So anybody could be doing it. Uh, that's uh, that's the way that it's laid out. Anyway, fantastic film, and if you're into that kind of thing, packed with all kinds of special features on a 2K restoration. Um, uh, is this a Blu-ray? Yeah, this is a Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, the Iguana with the Tongue of Fire. I'm going to hit a little TV right now. I'm going to go through some uh, Acorn stuff. The first is from the Acorn Athena line, Elizabeth I and Her Enemies. Um, this is a, a uh, an interesting documentary and recreation series. Uh, three episodes, about, you know, not long. It's about, you know, two and a half hours uh, that looks at the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, who we know so well from movies like Elizabeth and mm. Elizabeth the Golden Age and Shakespeare in Love and recently uh, Mary Queen of Scots. And, you know, Queen Elizabeth I keeps showing up in movies and miniseries over and over Some and over. Some of them better than others. Some better than others. Uh, but still a remarkably seminal figure in British history, in Western civilization. And uh, so this is uh, a couple of uh, the presenters here is Dan Jones and Susanna Lipscomb. Uh, take us through the, uh, all of the, you know, separating fact from fiction and going to the shape, the places that were central. And, you know, uh, it's really, a, and there's some really interesting recreations here. It's all, it, what a life. I mean, the thing that I find compelling about this is how much of her life we know mm-hmm. from the movies and how what a small part of her overall life and the intrigue that actually was. Yeah. And you can go all the way back to, you know, Elizabeth and Essex, right, the old Betty Davis movie. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, if you've seen every movie about Queen Elizabeth I, you have still only seen a tiny fraction of the drama that there was in her life. They could mine her life for 50 more movies, and we yeah. still wouldn't scratch it. Yep. Really one of the most amazingly eventful lives ever. So that's really cool. Elizabeth I and her enemies. Emphasis on enemies, because there were a <laughs> lot of them. There were a lot of them. The woman didn't make a lot of friends. Uh, and then we got on Blu-ray a couple of series. Uh, one is Acorn TV original, Mystery Road, Series 1, with the ever-wonderful Judy Davis and Aaron Pedersen. Uh, this is, they, 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 they call this Australia's answer to true detective and even put that right on the packaging. I don't know that that's quite right. It is definitely an outback modern Western. In some respects, it feels, um, it probably splits the difference between, uh, what's the series that I'm thinking of? Mm. The modern Western series, uh, set in Kentucky. Oh. Uh, that was shot in Kentucky, at least. Um, Modern Western shot in Kentucky. You, you know what I'm talking about. It was, on, it, was, it, was, it wasn't on TCM. It was on... Uh, oh, oh the, one, the one with all the women uh, who, who uh, came to power because all the men died in the war? No, no, no. This is, uh, this is just a guy with a, with a cowboy hat solving crimes, being a, being a modern-day 
Uh, oh, why can't I <laughs> can't think of this? Anyway, so uh, Mystery Road Series 1 is more detective show than anything else. It's it's not true detective, but it's it's procedural, um, and it's good. I mean, Judy Davis is amazing. She's absolutely fantastic. And uh, Peterson is is cool because he's you know he's Aboriginal, so you get that you get the cultural stuff, you get the racial stuff, and uh, it really makes it uh, it makes it just a, a top notch series. The photography is fantastic; it's super cool. I am looking forward to more series of Mystery Road and the great Judy Davis. We talked previously about Broken Wood Mysteries series five. Uh, and uh, this takes place in New Zealand, which, since we talked about the last one, obviously there was the horrible, horrible uh, shooting in New Zealand. Mm. And uh, this crime show takes on kind of a, a different uh, feel, not necessarily in a good way, but this is the Blu-ray of it that we have here, Series 5, The Broken Wood Mysteries. And, um, you know, it. I now look at this not as, oh, the, the New Zealanders are, you know, pretending that they have crime. Now you look at this and you think, Maybe there's a little bit more true life mm. uh, underlying what's Some, going on here than uh, than New Zealand would like to necessarily publicize. Yeah. Uh, Rake series five with the great Richard Roxburgh, who never seems to age. Uh, Richard Roxburgh is uh, really wonderful in this. So here's what's going on in season in series five of this thing. Um, he is he is no longer an attorney. He's been disbarred, and he has now won himself a Senate seat in Australia based on a powerful campaign pledge. Mm. That pledge? To do nothing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Isn't that oh, great? Well. Um, it's kind of fun. So uh, there's a behind-the-scenes featurette here, which is pretty long. It's over a half an hour long, and uh, it's it's really good, too. But Roxburgh is just a, a treasure, and um, like Judy Davis, you can watch him forever. And then lastly, once more for Australia, is The Heart Guy, which is, uh, this is series three of The Heart Guy, which uh, is interesting. This is a little bit of a cross between Grey's Anatomy and uh, Northern Exposure, if anybody remembers Northern yeah, Exposure. Yeah, I so, love Northern Exposure. Yeah, so, you know, he used to be a hotshot heart surgeon. Now he's had all kinds of problems, and he's being punished, and he's been sent to a small town where he has to be a general practitioner. And we're getting to the end of this probationary period that mm -hmm. he had, you know, so now we're, we can't keep that going forever. So they throw some really interesting twists on this to keep it going, romantic and financial and other stuff. And I won't tell you where it goes, but it's really, it's actually kind of fun. Uh, and so, you know, you get, again, beautiful Australian uh, photography. That is The Heart Guy, Series 3. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, I got a few over here. Yeah. Including Ray Donovan, which first premiered in 2013. Uh, if you're keeping track of that kind of thing, you, you, I was not a big fan of this series, uh, and then I liked it okay. It was it was it was fine, but I kept thinking about it in terms of Rockford Files, the Rockford Files, you know, which is a, another a show yeah. about a, a lone sort of detective, a guy. Although Ray is more of a fixer than a detective, uh, roaming around LA taking care of stuff for people, and I do far and away prefer the Rockford Files to Ray Donovan, who's yeah. really just kind of a thug and goes around beating people up. <laughs> That's what he really does. You know, Ray, Ray Donovan, he's going to go nine times eventually before it's all over. He's a, Jim Rockford was exactly the opposite. He didn't yeah. go out looking to fight with anybody, and most of the right. time he got beat up himself Yeah, uh, as he tried to, to, to protect the girl. So anyway, lots of people love this. This is the sixth season. All kinds of new special features on this thing. If you like Ray Donovan, uh, uh, then I suppose you got to pick this thing up. But, you know, like I said, you know, different strokes for different folks. Uh, that is for sure. Ivana Trump's for love alone, um, 
I'd uh, forgotten this even existed. You know that? Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, I mean, uh, 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 Stephen Collins as Donald Trump. Yeah, who, who got in trouble for some things, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, yeah. Mr. When Collins he was, Trump. yeah. Stephen Collins. Although you know, to be honest with you, Donald Trump around this period was a fairly decent looking dude, and it was not particularly in, insane for Stephen Collins to be playing the television television movie yeah. version of him. Uh, it's probably true. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah. So, you know, don't want to be mean about it just because, you know. It's and who the hell would have thunk <laughs> back when they made this movie? I know, right? Uh, which so was in 1996, long. by the way. Anyway, uh, it, it was basically, she wrote a book, they made a TV movie about it. I'm surprised they didn't put this out last year. I know, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Project Blue Book, television series, 2019. Project Blue Book, of course, being the uh, UFO investigation. And there was a previous Project Blue Book back in the 80s, like yes. early 80s, we should point out, yeah, about yeah. the UFO investigation. Yeah, the uh, United States Air Force officers skeptical of going on looking into the conspiracy theories about Project Blue Book. Here's the thing about uh, all of the project blue book conspiracy theories uh they're all just that conspiracy theories none of them are true nothing about this series makes them any more true um uh, but it's fun to watch here's what i'm convinced of i was thinking about this the other day in the shower because that's where i think about important things yeah and i was thinking you know what i i believe that aliens and bigfoot <laughs> and the loch ness monster and the abominable snowman are oh. all hopelessly shy <laughs> And the reason I believe that is because back before we had cell phones and, and digital cameras mounted on every damn thing, mm -hmm. we were getting reports of them everywhere and pictures everywhere and all kinds of stuff. And as soon as there are cameras everywhere, everybody's got they, one. they all go away. No and my only explanation for that is that they're just really shy mm -hmm. and very bashful. Except for uh, Bigfoot, who, of course, we know was killed by the same guy who killed Hitler. That's right. Uh, last Sam Elliott. episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, Doctor Who. I did not see this. Uh, I mean, I'm a ridiculous Tom Baker Doctor yeah. Who fan. As people who listen to this, this is the complete seventh season, which was the final season <laughs> That's right. of the Doctor Who uh, 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 run, uh, yeah. uh, Tom Baker run yeah. as Doctor Who. Uh, and it's just fantastic. Um, this must be an anniversary of it. Yeah, oh, it it's, is. It's a 25-year anniversary yeah, on uh, Blu-ray. Blu so this is just fantastic for wonderful Doctor the Who The Doctor Who that you and I discovered Doctor Who through. Oh, yeah. This is, this is, this is, this the, is our this Doctor is the, Who. Yeah, the other one. And later I came to the other Doctor yeah. Who's. And I hung around for a little while yeah. as they started. But, you know, this but, was always my Doctor But he doctor was the who. first young Doctor Who. He was the he was first young not old sassy, man Doctor not Who. Not the old man. He wore that scarf and that yeah. hat. And he hung around with the hottest sidekicks. Layla, are you kidding me? He was like, no, I'm not hanging around with a bunch of young kids. All kinds of stuff on this uh new commentaries uh it's just really fantastic uh moderated by matthew sweet there's an interview who played k9 it's a just a wonderful wonderful series you gotta let me borrow this one you an got eight it disc set yeah the final right? season of tom seven season great so we're gonna hit some uh, classic movies for uh, probably the remainder of the show here and uh, i have a giant stack of uh, combination sets here, multi multi sets, many movies on one set, and uh, they are all really, really kind of cool and fun in their own way. Even the cheesy ones. The first one is the Roy Rogers Happy Trails Collection. Look, singing cowboys were once a thing. Gene Autry yep. and Roy Rogers and all the rest of them, um, and mixed. and Roy Back Rogers. Oh, Roy Rogers and his wife Dale Evans uh, made a lot of movies, a lot of movies, and you know what? Uh, there are 20 of uh, them here. 
Now, back then, movies were like TV episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 35, 40 minutes long. So, 60 was a feature. And this is authorized by the Roy Rogers estate, so they have good elements, and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, they're all kind of the same, you know, about half and half black and white in color. And uh, But, you know, Roy Rogers Jr. and uh, Jeff Kramer, uh, film archivist, put all this together and did a wonderful job. There's even some, some fun stuff on here. A, toy of the Roy Roger, a tour of the Roy Rogers Museum that his son hosts on here as well. And uh, if you're a Roy Rogers fan, you'll just go nuts for this. This is a whole lot of fun, and a lot of great actors show up in these things. Um, it really is fun. Uh, so that's the uh, Roy Rogers Happy Trails Collection 20 Films. Can't miss that. Also have Outlaws and Con Men, four-movie collection, which includes uh, Sting of the West, Badman's River, Django's Cut Price Corpses, and <laughs> Django Shoots First. Uh, oh. Django's Cut Rate, uh, cut Price Corpses is uh, one that I really I thought was just absolutely hilarious. I love that hilarious. just anybody could make a Django movie. Uh, it's true. It's fantastic and ha- absolutely hilarious. And Django Shoots First. Uh, really, really good stuff. Badman's River is the one that you really want to kind of focus on here because it has Lee Van Cleef and James Mason and Gina Lola Brigida. And that's a really fantastic cast. And uh, slightly behind it is Sting of the West, which has Jack Palance and Lionel Stander. Um, but, you know, the Django films have their own, uh, their own fun appeal. Yeah. Uh, no Tell Motel, eight-movie collection. This is horror stuff. And uh, it includes uh, the original Hostel, director's cut for some horrible reason, as well as Hostel Part 2. Those are the ones that sort of uh, are the, the, the primary anchor here. Also includes Vacancy, Identity, Terror at Red Wolf Inn, It Happened at Nightmare Inn, Legacy of Blood, and The Devil's Nightmare. Look, it's a lot of blood and gore, and it's all sort of hotel-oriented. And if you just want to put something on at Halloween time or just to scare and upset the neighbors, that'll do the trick. Uh, Robin Hood Origins includes five films that are all uh, mediocre to middling and a couple are sort of terrible. Uh, but anyway, these are um, these are all from the Hammer Productions that dabbled momentarily in the, uh, in, the, in the Robin Hood lore. Bandit of Sherwood Forest, Prince of Thieves, Black Arrow, Rogues of Sherwood Forest, and Sword of Sherwood Forest. All of them obviously feature length, but... Barely. There's barely enough story to sustain any of this stuff. Uh, the uh, the one that I think is sort of worth worth mentioning is uh, sort of Sherwood Forest because Terrence Fisher directed it, and Terrence Fisher's a good director. Yeah. Also have the Cloverfield three-movie collection, which includes the original Cloverfield, directed by our very good friend Matt Reeves. That's what put him back on the map again. Uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, which was a lot better than I think anybody imagined it had a right to be with uh, John Goodman. And the Cloverfield Paradox recently on uh, on uh, Netflix and get, got very middling reviews. Nonetheless, this effectively means, as far as I'm concerned, that the Cloverfield saga is over. Mm. So make up your own mind. Check it out. J.J. Uh, Abrams did this, and uh, I still obviously am partial to the Cloverfield because Matt directed it. Uh, also, Reese Witherspoon in the Legally Blonde collection from Shout Select. This includes uh, the original Legally Blonde and Legally Blonde 2, which is not bad. The original is better, but they're still both a lot of fun. And, of course, this went on to be a Broadway musical, uh, which is kind of insane. But Legally Blonde uh, has a great soundtrack, and I can't take that away from it. Wonderful that they made this a Shout Select release, both films on one. I'm glad they did that. Audio commentaries, featurettes, deleted scenes, gags, tons of great stuff, and a beautiful new transfer. 
Also, slightly less uh, memorable is the Poison Ivy collection. All four Poison Ivy films, which, uh, of course, don't have the same actress in all of them. Drew Barrymore originated the, uh, the character, but it eventually, you know, wound up being taken over by other actresses, uh, including Jamie Presley and Alyssa Milano. And, uh, you know, look, it's, um, it's tacky and sleazy and a little bit lascivious and uh, kind of enjoyable in a weird way. I miss Jamie Presley. I'd forgotten what a great actress she is. Uh, she plays Ivy's sister in 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 uh, Poison Ivy, yeah. the the new the new seduction, by the way. But in any case, a uh, great showcase for a lot of actresses who want to kind of go, you know, bad and naughty and nasty, and uh, that's what Poison Ivy does. We got you got served and stomped the yard in a double feature. Uh, it's all about the dancing. If you don't like the dancing, you won't like the movies. But that's on Blu-ray. Also have uh, Hostel and Hostel 2 on Blu-ray as a standalone horror double feature if you don't want to get the uh, the other one on DVD. We've also got, let me dig through these real fast, Fort Yuma Gold and Damned Hot Day of Fire, Western double feature. Two incredibly cheesy but wonderfully fun Westerns. Uh, Fort, Gold, Fort, Fort Yuma Gold stars Montgomery Wood, who I don't think made another movie in his whole life. Damned Hot Day of Fire has Robert Woods and John Ireland, who, of course, did a few other things. These are just exploitation westerns. Mm-hmm. They're actually a whole lot of fun. And allegedly, according to the Spaghetti Western database that I didn't even know existed, which is quoted on the back, these are two of Quentin Tarantino's favorite Spaghetti Westerns. Yeah. I don't necessarily know yeah, that to be true. Yeah. Never heard of that database. Just putting it out there. A uh, couple of mushy, sort of um, family-oriented things from the for the faith-based audience. I don't want to be derogatory, but these really are not terribly good movies, but they are very mushy and sentimental, uh, is Footprints and Friends for Life, both of them uh, Dove-approved. And, uh, you know, they're, they're okay. They're formulaic in, in the way that these films are formulaic. Footprints, of course, is, is obviously centered around the, uh, the famous poem, and um, it's a guy and a dog story. How do you how do you not sort of be be touched by that? Friends for Life is you know about uh, about a guy who whose wife comes down with a horrible illness, and how do you cope with that? So you know, it, it's it's a little schmaltzy, but it is what it is. Uh, another double feature, feature: Nightwing and Shadow of the Hawk. These are uh, horror double features, specifically films from the 1970s, so like 70s era horror exploitation films. Uh, the they, they're sad to me in this sense that um, Shadow of the Hawk in particular stars uh, Jan Michael Vincent, who recently passed after a yeah. very difficult life. And um, I'm still not ready to kind of see Jan Michael Vincent yeah. in, in anything because he's so young and strong and, and you know, has his legs. And it's just, it's really devastating to, to, to see what became of him when you see pictures later in life. And then the last year are a couple of four-in-one collections. Uh, one is the Thrillers four-in-one collection. The other one is the Apocalypse four-in-one collection. Mostly junk, but the Thrillers four-in-one collection does at least have uh, Did I Kill My Mother? question mark, which is a stone-cold riot. I don't know if this thing is supposed to be as campy as they make it out, but um, it's pretty funny. It really is pretty funny. And the my favorite of all of these is on the Apocalypse Four in One collection, Ghost Quake. <laughs> Do you know why? I, and by the way, here are the four movies: Ghost Quake, Weather Wars, Arachnaquake. I think we know what that is. It's like there's an earthquake, spiders everywhere, 
And uh, Miami magma, which is about a volcano that that uh, appears and erupts in Miami. It's the stupidest thing ever. Uh, so the but the thing that makes Ghost Quake awesome, it has Danny Trejo. Yes. Danny Trejo. I, I don't, I, look, Ghost Quake with Danny Trejo. Do I even need to tell you anything else about it? Of course not. It's great. <gasps> Danny Trejo's in it. Uh, don't need anything else. Uh, let's see. A couple of few more over here. Yeah, let's do the Twilight Time stuff. From 1978, Richard Dreyfuss film. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss, you, you can't make movies like this anymore. Uh, as feature films, anyway. We talked about that this last show. Richard Dreyfuss, The Big Fix. Uh, this film it was uh, Richard Dreyfuss, Susan Anspa, uh, Bonnie Bedelia, uh, John Lithgow, uh, uh, F. Mary Erba- uh, Abraham. And it's really just a film about the 60s radical guy, a Berkeley kind of guy, who 20 years on uh, n- uh, no longer engages in that sort of left-wing ideology. His wife left him uh, because his law degree didn't turn into any money for them, and he's working as a private detective. And he gets hired to, to sort of figure out what's going on in the case of this, this other guy that's running for governor. It's just, you know, this is just a neat movie that was really, really funny, directed by the great Bill Conti. Uh, and, you know, it's just not the kind of film that gets made, made as a feature film anymore. Uh, but I rather enjoyed this movie at the time, and I think I'd rather enjoy it now. Special features include, includes an isolation of the, uh, of the score uh, for it. Uh, 19, from 1966, Michael Anderson film, The Quiller Memorandum. Uh, Love this movie. It was a neat movie. It's a cool movie. I, I kind of think it meant to meant to be maybe a sort of Bondian sort of uh, yeah. a, a thing that uh, didn't quite work out. Work out. Nevertheless, um, uh, based on a Harold Pinter screenplay. Uh, with Trevor Dudley doing some running too. Anyway, it's set in West Berlin in the '60s, and you have these two Brit- British agents to get killed, uh, uh, and then the you know the uh, MI5 or whatever it would have been uh, dispatched this badass super uh, spy uh, uh, to investigate what happened and uh, and and bring the guilty to justice. Neat, uh, a film from Twilight Time. Uh, special features include again uh, the isolated score track and an audio commentary from a couple of noted film historians. Um, uh, the whole town's talking. Edward G. Robinson film. It's great. Uh, it's a neat, great mo- neat, neat movie from from great nineteen too. from nineteen thirty five. Uh, Edward G. gets to play these two roles. One is this sort of soft spoken uh, uh, guy uh, uh, who happens to look like Public Enemy Number One, uh, 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 Killer Ma- kill, Killer Mannion, uh, and it's just a really really neat movie. Gene Arthur uh, in, in this film. Um, uh, playing the, the sort of love interest. It's a it's a funny film as well. Uh, just fantastic Edward G. Robinson movie. Edward G. Robinson didn't get to play funny that often, but if you have Joe Swirling writing the dialogue, yeah, Edward G. Robinson yeah. can be funny. John Ford film. Yeah. Uh, uh, not a whole lot on here in terms of special features, which is unfortunate. Uh, and then Rivers Edge from 1957, not the Keanu Reeves film from, uh, from, from the middle <laughs> 80s, which is a good movie. I'm not making yeah. fun of it. Uh, but Rivers Edge from 1957, an Alan Dewan film, uh, which is really just an intense noir, despite the fact that it's in color. Uh, it is still a noir. And uh, as we often say, noir is, is, is not a genre of film, right. uh, but, but, but rather an, a- an application of a style Yes, that can be applied to any genre. This one is sort of a western noir set in New Mexico. We have uh, outback noir and rural uh, noir. And horror all noir, yeah. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Ray Milan, Anthony Quinn, Dorothy Pageant, Harry Carey Jr. I just love all of these uh, uh, wonderful old actors uh, who were in these movies. Anyway, Ray Milan, uh, Anthony Quinn is in 
love with Deborah Padgett. Her old boyfriend, Ray Milan, uh, who's a bit of a psychopath, uh, comes into town and forces them to take him across the river. It's a good movie uh, that I rather enjoyed. Special features include an, an uh, audio commentary from um, a film historians, Alan Silver and James Ursani. That's really great. Uh, and the isolated score from Twilight Pictures. And we have two amazing releases from Flickr Alley, uh, two w classic widescreen movies that have uh, gone largely unnoticed and unrecognized un, uh, for many, many years. Uh, Flickr Alley, of course, has, has done a wonderful job restoring and releasing the, uh, the whole Cinerama library. And this is one that com came completely out of the blue. I had never seen this before. didn't even know that it existed. The Golden Head from 1965. Um, a narrative film shot in Cinerama that it was a this was a Hungarian UK US co-production believe it or not I didn't even know that that existed in the 1960s uh, directed by Richard Thorpe who was a really major director of the period this is on Blu-ray and has been completely restored and it's a really really interesting movie that um, that takes place in Hungary hence the Hungarian involvement in this about a bunch of kids who have gone there for a detective convention with their dad, who is, of course, a detective. And um, in, in a kind of weird uh, a reverse Home Alone thing, the kids wind up discovering uh, this criminal plot and uh, wind up having to kind of do the, you know, be like their dad, use what their dad has taught them and, and uh, become like kid detectives. Mm. Um, there's a little bit of, uh, 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 I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's sweet and cute, and it's a little bit of Mary Poppins and a little bit of uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang feel in this, but it's beautifully shot. I mean, it's really, really incredible to look at, uh, especially in Blu-ray. It is you, you, and they do the simulated curved screen smile box thing, which is also really fun. Uh, some great bonus features on here too. Um, the, uh, the Fortress of Peace, which is this uh, Swiss Army propaganda film that was also shot in Cinerama, a uh, seventy-millimeter cartoon uh, by John Hubley called "The Tale of Old Whiff." And then there are restoration demonstrations and uh, still galleries. It's really, really cool. The Golden Head, great, great movie. And then this is a, a first for Flickr Alley. They are now releasing, they've just released The Flying Clipper, otherwise known as Mediterranean Holiday, uh, in, uh, in not just Blu-ray, but 4K UHD. And um, it's extraordinary how this looks. This was a German film. This is not Cinerama. This is a German film that was made in 1962 with a 70-millimeter camera designed specifically for this film, which doesn't exist anymore, as I understand it. This camera does no longer exists. And so they were able to uh, get the, the negatives, the, the original elements for this, and scan them into 4K from the original 70-millimeter elements. And uh, it's unbelievable. You watch, I mean, it's more stunning than almost anything that you would watch shot digitally in 4K and released in 4K, any of these new movies that we see now. This is breathtaking, even more so than a lot of these current IMAX releases. Uh, it really, really is incredible. It's a, it's a travelogue, and, you know, as most Cinerama movies were at the time. And, uh, you know, you're going through all these, these fascinating places, which includes the Pantheon in Europe and so forth. Um, but uh, it, it, it's just the, the, the photography, the fact that it has that sheen because of the stock that they used from the, uh, the 1960s, 
it really takes you back in time. It's uh, it's just tremendous. And this also includes a bunch of uh, different uh, special features, multiple audio options, lobby cards, an interview with the with the uh, original camera operator, uh, which is very interesting, and uh, a couple other interviews with uh, one with a film projectionist, one with a seventy millimeter expert, um, stuff on the restoration. It's and it's really really cool. So Flying Clipper Mediterranean Holiday in 4K and Blu-ray. Really terrific. A uh, few over here? Yeah. Uh, let's come over here and take a look. I love the boxes uh, of these of these uh, home video Blu-rays uh, from Mill Creek uh, because they're they're set up to look like a, a <laughs> like VHS the, the that's VHS. slightly yeah. pulled out of the box with that, you know, be kind rewind with parental yeah. rights and stickers and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you're as old as us, that's just damn cool and, and, and happy to look at. The first one, Sheena. Uh, Tanya Roberts as Sheena. Man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> Uh, I do not mind telling you that uh, these that I absolutely love these films back in the day. They're really terrible, absolutely uh, just just horrible films. 1984, Sheena, uh, ba- kind of loosely based on the Tarzan legend that she grew up uh, uh, in Africa, raised by some noble tribes, taught to to telepathically listen to the animals and run around in this little loincloth-y kind of thing. Love it. Uh, uh, it was after she was on Charlie's Angels. After yeah. after Charlie's Angels, directed by John Gillerman. Which is weird. Just so, so so weird, but not. I mean, weird, but not weird. Weird, and that John Gillerman, uh, who goes all the way back to Bridget Ramagan, yeah, and the Blue Max and movies like that. But Towering made his, Inferno made his way through Towering and Inferno and King, King Kong, Kong and another King Kong yeah. and this. Uh, so you know that's back when the when as a uh, sort of journeyman director, it's just no down telling no telling what the hell would happen to, uh, <laughs> to to your career over the course of your career as opposed to today. Um, songwriter uh, Chris Christopherson and Willie Nelson in this movie uh, yeah. from back in the day about uh, and my friend Melinda is in that too. Melinda Dillon, yeah, Carson's in the movie. Chris uh, directed again, uh, very strange when you think about it by Alan Rudolph. Yeah. The guy who directed Choose Me and Afterglow and Trouble yep. in Mind and all these movies. And then and this sort of interesting movie about these uh, about these two Texas sort of like singing team. They break up and, uh, and Willie Nelson's going to lose his family and lose, uh, lose all his songs and has to get back with Blackie, Chris Christopherson yep. to help him win it all back. Kind of neat. Always loved The Legend of Billie Jean. Mm. Uh, because I love the theme song. Well, the, well yeah, yeah, the that Pat theme, Benatar theme the Pat song. Pat Benatar slays uh, me. But again, this is a Matthew Robbins film. I uh, know this this nineteen eighty whatever it was film nineteen eighty uh, eighty some odd film. Matthew Robbins who directed uh, 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 um, Dragon Slayer and Batteries Not Included, mm-hmm. Mimic, and just you know uh, just all these sort of interesting films. None of these. Uh, none of those movies you could make today. This is a neat movie, though. I always like this movie because of the sort of bruster, uh, brother-sister theme in it. Christian Slater plays the little boy uh, who has this scooter, the bully guy, uh, erects his scooter. Uh, Helen uh, Slater goes over there and, and demands $608 uh, back uh, for, for her brother, and uh, something happens, and they have to take it on the healing toe, and it becomes this sort of legendary thing, uh, the legend of Billie Jean as her mm. and her brother uh, sort of run around town. Uh, Helen Slater, just wonderful. Her in this movie and her in that original Supergirl movie, just a couple of the best things that I ever experienced in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we have yet another one. Uh, the, the one of the first films called Neighbors was one uh, directed by John Adelson, Alv- Alv- John Adelson, uh, starring John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. And this was just one of the craziest, funniest films that those that those sort of like uh, you know Saturday Night Live, so like early early '80s Saturday Night Live guys coming out making movies made. 
Uh, I, Larry Gilbert's screenplay, uh, adapted from a novel, but Larry Gilbert's screenplay, and again, just so, 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 so funny. John Belushi, Kathy Mari Moriarty, Dan Aykroyd, Tim Kazarinski. It's just, you know, uh, all of these people just at the top of their game. And this film, this was not a hit at the time, but it has taken up a bit of a cult following. And it's just a comic nightmare is what they call it, and it was really, really funny. So I'm uh, going to do some Kino stuff right now. And um, the first one are the is the original Emmanuel trilogy, finally out on Blu-ray. Oh, now, yeah. if you're as old as Tim and I are. Oh, yeah. There was life before Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're, you know, a boy of a certain age. The word it, Emmanuel has so much <laughs> loaded. Me. Just, just the name, just the name. And and here's the thing. Like Django, there wound up being a whole lot of Emmanuel movies yeah. that had nothing to do with the original no. Emmanuel. No. And, um, you know, they would spell the name differently. Like these, Eman you know, the original Emmanuel trilogy because they spell it E M M. A-N-U-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. yeah. Everybody else, there'd be like 1M or 1L or 1M and 1L yeah. or no E at the end. I mean, they, they you Everybody's know. Everybody's just trying to be, they're trying just, to be careful. Yeah. yeah, they're just being trying to be careful. The, there's an attorney somewhere that said, you know, you could do an Emmanuel movie if you you're, if you don't use two M's. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, this is, it's the same thing with Bruce Lee. That's how there's like Bruce yeah. Lee, L-I, uh, Bruce, yeah. Bruce uh, too many Bruces and too many Lees yeah. at a certain point. So the original Emmanuel, uh, directed by Just Yekin, uh in 1974, was basically a softcore movie at a moment when hardcore was becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea was, hey, for people that don't, you know, now that movies have ratings and there's this X thing and there are dirty movie theaters and, you know, that are being frequented primarily by men wearing raincoats. Uh, <laughs> maybe we can do something for people who don't want yeah. to. You know, it's that whole thing in, in Taxi Driver where he says, no, this is the movie that all the couples come to. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. you're, no. Yeah. So let's give, let's give, let's do something a little lighter, a little yeah. gentler that we can get into a legit theater that yeah. isn't pornographic. It's still, still kind of sassy. Yeah. Ratley Metzger made a whole lot of those Oh, movies. tons of those. And Emmanuel was that first movie with Sylvia Christel as a woman who is innocent to the ways of, you know, sex sexual mm. experience and is introduced mm. and discovers all of this stuff. And people could sort of, you know, feel like they were watching something a little naughty mm. without thinking it was pornographic. Yeah. It's a crap movie. Don't get me wrong. Mm. It's, it's ridiculous in hindsight and it's not well made, but it's iconic. Yeah. And Sylvia Christel is a, an iconic figure. And um, there, there are featurettes on here where they talk about, you know, the joys of Emmanuel part one is on the first film and uh, The Joys of Emmanuel Part 2 is on Emmanuel 2, so they split that up, assuming that you're going to get all of these. And uh, they interview, you know, you, Yostiak, and the director, and, and they've got all that stuff. Um, I have to say, I think the better film, actually, if we're using general, <laughs> if we're going there, is Emmanuel 2, uh, directed by a different director, Francis Giacobetti, who is a better director, still not a very good director, mm. uh, but this has a wonderful Francis Lai score, which is also very iconic. Uh, a better cast. Uh, Emmanuel is experienced now, yeah. so the film isn't sort of, it's wearing its intentions on its sleeve, and it's going into, you know, it's it's doing what it wants to do now. And um, the interesting thing here is, in, in you know, this takes place in Hong Kong, and uh, there's a bathhouse scene in here, and one of the masseuses in the bathhouse is Laura Gemser. Oh. The star of Black Emmanuel. Oh! Hey, you know where that seed was planted? <laughs> there was a producer that got an idea and went, 
Let's do that. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if they use uh, an e where they put the e. And then Goodbye Emmanuel was the third one, directed by uh, Francois Leterrier, who actually was a better direct. It, this is better directed. It's it's. Um, you know, the, the the whole shtick is getting a little bit old and long in the tooth. You can only get so much forbidden sex and lust yeah. out of these out of these things. Particularly with the um, internet. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 it it's it's a now it's getting a little bit. Uh, it take now they've moved to the Seychelles Islands and you know they're they're just looking for nice cinematography in this one. There's not much else you can do. The reason to see this one though is because of the music. It's not Francis Lai anymore. <laughs> Serge Gensborg did Serge, the music. Yes, yes. And so that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so those three are out now. And then we also have from uh, Kino uh, three other pretty terrific uh, studio classic releases. One from 1970 that a lot of people may have forgotten about is uh, Charles Bronson and Marlène Jobert in the U.S. and uh, French co-production Rider on the Train Directed by René Clément, legendary French director. And this is a really, really good good film. Uh, René Clément made so many great films, including Purple Noon, which was uh, later remade into a film that I gave five stars to and everyone thought it was one of the worst films of the year, Eye of the Beholder. And uh, that's a whole story for another time. But this includes the uh, French cut, which is four minutes longer than the U.S. cut at 118 minutes, which is great. There's an audio commentary on here with some film historians that's very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, it's a, this is a really, really cool um, th- French thriller of the period, done in the French thriller style. Yeah. And uh, René Clément is great and um, just directs the hell out of it. And Charles Bronson gives one of his best on-screen performances. Uh, Diane Keaton uh, directed Unstrung Heroes in 1995 when she was nursing a brief directing career. And it's a really good film. And I'm sorry that this didn't get more love. Uh, Richard Lagravenis wrote this incredible yeah. screenplay. Lagravenis, who of course wrote The Fisher King, and many other great movies. Living and it's out loud. Living. That's right. Gosh, what a good movie yeah, that is. That Queen, movie. La- Queen Latifah yeah. and Holly Hunter. Um, and uh, this is this is a lovely period family story that seems, in some ways, maybe autobiographical. But it's uh, it really is sweet. John Turturro and Andy McDowell give such good performances. Uh, Michael Richards, of all people, shows up in this. Pre uh, pre Seinfeld and uh, and gives a really really good performance. It's a it's a it's just a really really sweet film and and uh, and just wonderfully shot. Uh, An Innocent Man, one of Peter Yates's later films with yeah. uh, Tom Selleck. This is from 1989. Uh, is kind of a Hitchcockian thing about a guy who is framed and sent to prison and uh, has to figure out how to pull his life back together again. It is it is not uh, uh, the uh, it's it's not oh how would I put this um, top level Yates. It's not top level Yates. It's uh, it's also not like Shawshank. Some people might think it's kind of Shawshanky. It it isn't. It but uh, Tom Selleck is still great, and he sort of rises to the occasion and does uh, does a better job than the material really would necessarily suggest. And then the last one here from the new Kino titles is a film that I love deeply, and I'm I'm f- so happy this is finally out. There's nothing on it. There's an Andy McDowell interview, and that's it. But uh, this is Green Card, uh, the, uh, the extraordinarily underrated Peter Weir film yeah. that gave Gerard Depardieu a chance to do something in English for a change. And yeah. gosh, I love this movie. Yeah, I really, so really do. I remember doing the junket for that movie. Eh, it's, yeah. it's, I know, it's, it's just such a beautiful film And it's kind of minor Peter Weir But it's so, so good in so many ways 
It's such a beautiful script. And of course, it was this was there was another film with uh, with the same story, which is you know it's about somebody who marries somebody so they can get a green card and, mm-hmm. and over that. And there was a Jean-Pierre Bujold movie uh, made in Canada that had a similar plot made the same year, but. This is the one. Green Card is just a beautiful script and uh, features two tremendously talented actors and has an absolutely wonderful scene when he's on the piano. Oh. Classic. It's one of the best things that Peter Weir's ever directed. Yeah. So with that, we are, uh, we are done this week. And uh, next week, we'll, we'll see what happens with this, uh, this Writers Guild and uh, ATA thing. Um, I don't know where that's going, Tim. Yeah, oh, man. I mean, it's going to change everything. It is. 